Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses. The mistake you're made in life is people tell you, oh, that weakness, you can't go far with it. And you spend your whole life trying to cover or fix your weaknesses. I say, don't do that. Polish your strengths, neutralize your weaknesses. Which basically tells a person is that I have weaknesses. You're perfect, but I have weaknesses. And there's no weakness I have I don't know about. I focus to learn the weakness. And then I partner up with people that strength is my weakness. In the back of your mind, your dreams should be real, right? Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the great pleasure of having Ira Zolotowicz with me today. Did hey, I get the name first round? Look at that, man. I'm having a good day. Hey, before we jump into this, how can the listeners get in contact with you if they enjoy what they hear on the podcast? So I publicly give out my cell number and my email address. My cell number, and it's not a Google Voice number, it's the regular, 917-597-2197. But really the best way is through email or WhatsApp. Email probably better, um, Ira. My initial, my last name is Z, Zlotowitz, at easternunion.com. He responds to so many emails. He actually responds on LinkedIn comments. It's, it's really, really, really amazing. I'm so grateful to have you on today. Jerome, after this podcast with your audience, if they're going to keep calling, I might have to keep responding to everybody. I might max out. I'm getting close. You know? They'll take it over the top. So, you know, people haven't had anybody like you on this show so far. Your story is like super, super amazing and inspiring. Do me a favor and tell the listeners a little bit about your background and what you've been doing to build Eastern Union. So uh, my background is pretty much I was born in, uh, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Um, if you can't tell by now, I'm an Orthodox Jew. Um, I attribute all my success to God. Um, and the way I was brought up is that our job is to do good in this world and 
do what's the accepted big business practice, you know, do the right business plans to, you know, have a good work ethic. I'm not discussing, obviously, on the moral compass, I'm talking on the work end of it. You do what's in your control, and God uh, decides the results on it. So just to get one of the sharks as a partner, they're willing to give up 20% of the business to give it to a shark. They'd rather own 80% of whatever they're building with the shark than 100% themselves. I said I have a better partner than the sharks. That goes straight to God. Make a deal with God, give away charity, percent of the income to charity. And if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. I don't have any regrets. I put in the hard work and it's up to God what happens. So my whole life, I was always thinking about business ideas and things along those lines. And I had the opportunity at one point to um, go into, get a job in the commercial real estate space. And actually, interestingly enough, is that I wasn't thinking necessarily real estate per se. I always dreamed about development and things like that. But I was thinking about opening up a business when I was in high school, I wrote a business plan. Now it sounds a little easy and one end it far in the next, but I went through a one business dry cleaning, film developing, and shoe repair. Those are the only three items that you drop off and pick up. Everything else you do, you buy, you throw out. Nothing else you drop off and pick up on an ongoing basis. There's no film developing anymore. It's all digital. But then the naming of it was called cleaners and the SH for shoes and then Elm for film. So cliche. Think about which cleaners you go to. Asking your neighborhood, who goes to a cleaners? Everyone goes to the local guy at the corner and they don't have a good relationship. There's no brand built around it. You know, there's not like one place everyone uses. So my idea was drop it off in one place. Like think about like logistics. Make it deliver it to your house. You need to drop it off in the store. You can deliver it somewhere else. You can pick up in the parking lot of your, of your building. So I have all these ideas. You could think about it. Then there's no Uber. There's no internet really taking off then. But, you know, I was going to go into that business to try it. My dad said, I have a friend in real estate. Why don't you meet him first? And I started my career in commercial real estate finance. And I've been in the same exact industry for 23 years. Four years, I was at a different firm, left as a partner, and I opened up Eastern. And ever since, I've stayed here. I still have that dream. People ask me, what's that cliche? And I said, one day, I'm still going to open it, you know? I'll do some VC raising on LinkedIn one day, maybe, and like let everyone chip into it, and then, you know, take it off. But that's where we're at. Wow. So what gave you the courage to leave behind the established firm and go do your own thing? So it's a good question. It's not so much it's the courage. It's, just, it's, it's a certain attitude and a confidence that I have the same comments had to jump in and do things is that I'm ready to take that risk, calculated risk. And once I was working at that firm and I realized that as a commercial mortgage broker, you get paid by the borrower and they pay you to find them the best deal for them. And they believe and trust and understand and, and think that what you're doing for them is that you're going to get them the best rate, the best terms is best for them. Not what's best for the lender. And as I was working there, I came there as number 12 in the company. I hired the whole staff, wrote the marketing, opened up offices for them. I became a partner to him. And what changed was, is that when I came to doing like 300 million of business, I instituted the idea of cold calling for commercial real estate. Before that, no one ever cold called commercial real estate. You cold call for they're selling you 99 cent items. Who's going to take the call from someone new and cold calling? And what happened was when I left the business four years later, they were at $2 billion in transactions and closings. But what changed was in that last year, they were purchased by a bank. And what started to happen was when a client came in, I guess there was certain incentives to the firm or just whatever it was they were owned by the bank where let's try to push it to this bank first. If we can't, then go elsewhere. But sometimes elsewhere is better than the bank. Sometimes creating competition was better. So it didn't sit by me. So as being brought up, the only thing we have in this world is our name and our reputation. I could say that publicly, no one accused me that I lied to them, and no one's going to accuse me that I owe them money. 
If this someone's going to say, Ira, you want to owe me money, I'm prepared today to settle it today by an arbitrator, no question. And I'll say, oh, there's another side to the story. There's no other side to the story. You think I owe you money and we don't resolve it between us? I'll sit down by an arbitrator instantly. So I couldn't see myself bringing a new business, telling your client, trust me, and then knowing that it could be you got the best deal, but maybe there's a little bit better. And for the same token, I opened up Eastern Union, and ultimately while we have the quarter point, the whole new direction of the firm, is that when I open up Eastern Union, I never take exclusives. Because what does an exclusive mean? Mr. Borrower, you want me to work your deal? Give me an exclusive. I'm going to run that deal for you with an exclusive. And what happens if someone else gets better? If I'm your trusted advisor, then if someone's better, you should take it. So I never take exclusives. I don't think anyone who gives an exclusive is crazy. You know, I understand the concept that someone might do a lot of work for you, so have a breakage. Like, if we don't close the deal, I'll give you some money. I can hear that. But to tell a person only I'm going with you, you got to be an idiot in today's world. And more importantly, how can I be a recipient to that? So when the bank the firm was bought, I didn't have so much of a question. Tomorrow morning, you want to stay with people that you don't agree with? Like, it's almost like a question of business question. I never made decisions in my life purely in business. The moral compass was the driver of everything that I made in my decision, so I didn't have to second guess it. Again, who's my partner? God. What would God want? Now, I'm not saintly. I'm still human. I make mistakes. I do things wrong. I'm not perfect. But the core value is, is that this was brought up by my mom and dad. That's the core value system. But honesty and, and helping people is more important than everything else. Why are you making the money? To do what with it? So if I could bypass to do what with it and just help more people make enough to live and then move on. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And so when you were, you know, having this wrestling match with kind of the moral compass piece of it, did you... But I don't have a wrestling match. When a moral compass comes up, decisions are instant. You don't think about it. Instant. So as soon Once it became clear that this is the direction things are going to, in life that make the decision, there's no question anymore. When I'm still debating it and not sure, I'm doing the research. But once it's established that this is where it's going, you know, it's like, you know, you talk about guilty by association. Why do banks don't like to lend to churches and synagogues on the religious side? And why don't they like to lend to strip clubs and other things on the other side of the coin? What's wrong with it? Why don't they do it? If the business makes sense, do it. The issue is they don't be associated on the negative side with that negative. On the religious side, what if the church or the synagogue can't pay? They want to be associated with foreclosing on a synagogue in the church? Well, why should we be involved? For why? You know, unfortunately, a couple of years ago, I had to let somebody go who was doing things dishonestly, capitalizing on the firm's reputation and good name, and leveraging that to get away with things. And we didn't know 100% what was wrong. But just when I went over to discuss with the person, the person said, hey, you're making money? Be quiet. Let me do my thing. That was a line in the sand. And I let the person go, and people said, you're crazy because of money? You know how much money you're making? It's a big deal. That's what people do it in business. I don't know. I mix business and pleasure. How is that my upbringing? I mix it into my business. That's why I get too emotionally involved. I help people. I train them. I give out the number. I'm going to help you. But that's why if you're going to be disloyal or be dishonest, I can't live with that. How is that possible? So people say, oh, that's how business works. You know, before they come to work, they're speaking to the rabbi, their mentor for advice. And as they come to work, they speak to the colleagues in the business world. I never shifted that decision making. I always go back to my roots. That's my starting point. And business becomes secondary. So that's where the balancing act comes. So you know your center and you stay there without question. No compromise, none of that. So when you I'm, I'm human, I'm tempted. So I try to set myself up not to be in situations yeah. to get those you know, temptations. So when you made the leap from the firm to your own or the bank to your own. It was, it was a brokerage firm. So it was the same business, same exact business. Who showed up to help you along the way? 
again, I have my partner. He's with me every step of the way. And then I got a partner within the business as well. I opened up with Abraham Bergman. We opened up together. I started it. He joined me about a week later. Um, uh, I met him in, in, when I was in studying overseas in Israel. Um, and we opened together. And you know, as soon as I get those lucky bricks, you know, get the guy who says, you know something, I'm impressed. Some people go for the underdog. You open up your own shop or you're just starting out. Or other people also, they're also starting out. So they weren't giving the proper love and attention. Also, an interesting thing which I learned and I was going to the next generation is that you have your own business. So you have this podcast, you have some real estate. As you're going to get older and you're, if you have kids, your kids are going to want to go into business. So they want to come into your business, but they don't want to live the whole life saying, oh, oh, you came into your dad's business. And also for you, you want them to shine. So let me aside different advice there, but the general concept is they want to prove a value they bring to you. So a lot of these next generations wanted to show to their dad that there's a better way than dad's doing it. I became that alternative. Why are you going the old school way, the better way? And that's why today, I started in 1997 was my first year when I came to this business. I opened up Eastern in 2001. In those four years, that's when people started getting emails. Think about when Gmail started. It was AOL then. It wasn't even Gmail at that time. So today, there's a new world. LinkedIn is the new world. This social media is the new world. And, and every lender is comfortable talking to everybody on LinkedIn. So that next world is by, by rolling out that new product, we're going to charge a quarter point, change the pricing. It also allowed me to really go to the next generation and bring in now, for this past summer, since we rolled out this new product, we have 500 college interns. I gave them a job, this internship this summer. It's going on right now as we speak. And we hired 75 new brokers on path to hire 200. Obviously, the college kids' average age is about somewhere between 19 and 23. But the average new hire coming into the business is also in the 20s. They don't know what the world is like without Amazon, without Uber, without technology. So I'm getting into that next level of the world that's bringing in a whole new world of business to me because their friends are now the second generation, the third generation within the real estate families. And that's where the turn of events are coming. So it's always evolving to that, staying current and being willing to change. So that same culture, when I got the gut to do it, I never mind change. So as the market requires this change, I'm going to go with that change. Calculated, I'll go with that change. Wow, such clarity in your answers. So. You got out there. Was it smooth sailing the whole way or did you have some challenges? Why are you assuming it's smooth sailing to start? It was tough from day one. So um, it was never smooth sailing. I don't think it ever gets really smooth sailing. I think everybody has the tests and at every course and step in their life. So for me, uh, maybe what was challenging, you know, 19 years ago was not challenging today, but there's different levels of challenges. So we had a challenging because the firm I went for was, was out to, uh, hopefully I didn't exist. So at every step of the way, they try to cut me out. You know, they went to banks they were doing business with and got me blacklisted by banks because they threatened the bank. You do business with him or not with me? So I look back and say, you know, it's really amazing the growth people don't know is that we were able to grow to this size, God's help, having the number one brokerage firm, even though I'll bait that I trained the staff and build them, going with a mission that I shouldn't be able to be successful. So I don't do business with the top two banks in New York. So we built this in spite of. That's why I tell people and I train people, you want to live your life in spite of. Most people come to a new business and say, well, how can I be the best? I know that guy has this, he has this, she has this. It. No. In spite of that, switch it. I'm going to be number one. In spite of that, I'll be number two. So go the other way around and do the in spite of. So we'll be able to come overcome all these challenges. So today, once we overcame those challenges, to a certain extent, what the next challenge is easy. You know, I look at like 
it doesn't kill you, makes you stronger. Something like, you know, I'm losing for some reason, it's, it's popping out of my head. Senior moment. So that line is that we got that far. We got in the beginning, the fact that I didn't get killed from this, all those experiences got me to this point to be able to keep growing and where we could take this, uh, the business from. So that was really it. As you were having those challenges, like, when did you realize, like, I've got to keep going. I've got to make this thing a success. I can't turn back. That, that's what I try to when I hire people and I try to coach young men and ladies that come into the business. You got to give them that message. I tell people, everybody wants to make millions. Very few people are willing to do the work it takes to get there. But with that is also the drive that they want to build out their business. I ask you, what's your drive? What's driving you? I used to sit around the table and ask you, what's driving you? How much money do you want to make? And then I, why? No one ever works harder than hitting their goal of that one. So if you're driven personally to make a million dollars, you're never going to kill yourself to make more than a million. If it's easy, you'll keep making it. But you're not going to kill yourself. So I want to find people to understand the why. What are they trying to drive it? If they're driving is money, it's going to end. Most people, it stops with money. So what I try to work with a lot of the youth that I bring into the business or when I coach and I go out to schools and I speak to kids and when I'm talking to college kids, when I hire new people, is that try to give them a bigger meaning what they want to strive for in life. If they're striving for us to help people, there's no limit to how many people you want to help. So you want to make money to do what? And I open up their eyes. Why do you want to help? These few people want to help a broader spectrum of people. So now the goal is they have to work harder to get to that goal or bypass and go straight to, to going to help people. So once I came to the business, success was the only option I was willing to strive for. If God didn't want it to happen, it wouldn't happen. I wasn't going to look back in hindsight and say, I should have done this. I have no regrets in what I tried to do. Am I happy with every result? No, but I have the faith and confidence that this was the best thing God wanted. And I put my best foot forward every single day. And, you know, I pray to him and I give charities. But again, I'm not saintly. I'm human just like everyone else. You have your challenges, I have my challenges. You know, for who everyone is, they uh, try to overcome different challenges. So I've always struggled when people say, well, if God didn't want it to happen, it won't happen. Like, how do you balance the, I'm doing everything I can and it didn't work out with, hey, God didn't want this to happen. Like, how do you know? It's the same. But I'll tell you one test that I found when I, I do an exit poll when guys leave me and gals leave me and I ask them questions. Why do you think it didn't work and things like that? I can tell you one foolproof thing that I learned and I want to write a thesis on it. You know, if I tell you, you think you work very hard, everyone thinks they work very hard. So I tell you, you think you work very hard and you should be successful, right? And I say, but I understand you start your day at eight. Some people start the day at seven. Whatever time you start, it doesn't make a difference. I add whatever you tell me, I add an hour, you know? Um, you make 50 phone calls a day, I feel make 75. And you have a reason, no, 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 My work is so much more quality. If I started early, I'd be tired, so I'd rather be eight and more quality. You give an excuse or an answer as to why you do it your way. I found the following test to be foolproof. If your twin brother was looking to do the same exact job as you, your twin had all the life challenges that you had, right? Live in the same neighbor, the same home, same parents, same everything. So that there's nothing that different about you. And you turn to them and you say, okay, you want to do my job? Let me tell you what you should do. You should wake up at what time? Give them a hundred things they should do. Wake up at this time, this many phone calls, return, always be polite, give attitude in these scenarios, network twice a week, whatever you tell them to do for your business. Now look at that whole test. And now, mark it for yourself. What of that do you do? I've never found someone that got over a 90 on their own test without knowing they're writing the test themselves. 
that wasn't successful and what they wanted to be, ever. Because now, to your brother, you're going to tell him, it's, you'd rather be tired there at 7 than at 8 o'clock. But to yourself, use it as an excuse. So you don't know that you're the trick answer. So it's you, a test for you. So when I hire people, I don't focus on what I think they should be doing every day. I ask them what they think they should be doing and their personality. So, you know, take this example. Everyone knows of David Stanton all over LinkedIn and I hired David Stanton. I'm saying, how did you hire somebody? I hired somebody. There's nobody that I know that is doing more energy, effort, everything for what he believes he wants to get to than anybody else. So it's not just by chance he has 40,000 connections or 50,000 connections on pace for 100 in his first year on LinkedIn. It's that he wanted to get there. All I did was just enable it to happen. I said, I'll put you in a position in office and you don't have to think about anything else but how you're going to monetize it. I'll pay you a salary. Because we believed that as he became more successful in his area, it will trickle down to a certain amount of deals. Can he wake up in a year and say, hey, if I would have done something else, I would have more deals? Maybe, but that wasn't his passion. So he followed his passion with his business plan. I just made sure he didn't fool himself on the business plan. That's really what happens here. But most people fool themselves to give an excuse. But in the mirror, you can't give an excuse. When no one's in the room, what's your excuse? That's why you're a life coach of people. You do me a favor. You can tell the world you're trying hard. And can you imagine that person actually did it your way? Go they make it happen. Wow. <laughs> I've an interesting story. I would get political with, uh, you know, with, with Donald Trump. I used to have a much better time at using Donald Trump's stories examples because, like, I trained the guy who closed deals with Donald Trump. I trained the guy who introduced Jared and his wife. And they represent Donald Trump those days. This is about like 18 years ago. And um, the guy tells me, I said, I'm just curious. If everything is really PR, how you tell him to do it, why can't anyone just follow what you say? And other people as wealthy as him or whatnot. He says, you don't understand. Two things. One, there was never a time that we gave him an idea that he didn't follow. It's not like he had filters. If he trusted us, that was his business plan. He trusted our advice. He talked about it. But at the end of the movie, he followed our advice. And number two, he said he really understood PR just like we do. So it had the benefit of someone who understood it and was able to enhance our ideas. But ultimately, he trusted us. So when we spoke it out, we had the final say. When we rolled out the quarter point, people said, why don't you do like this, slow it down? I said, in order to be successful, you have to do these 100 things. And I want to make sure I'm, I'm holding right now like 97 out of 100. 9700 doesn't happen. Okay, no problem. I will never look back with regrets because I did it. And then maybe it may lead me to something else. But at least I, I never have regrets because I focus on that core throughout the whole process. Yeah, so a lot of people want to do a part of it, right? And it's always the things that aren't uncomfortable, right? It's- That's for sure. Get out of your comfort zone, baby. What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. So tell me, what was the worst fear you had in this process of, of building this massive company? What was the worst? Fear. The worst fear is that somebody will use the name of the firm and do something that's dishonest. That was the worst fear. That show up that the firm gets put into the paper because someone did something wrong. That was my worst fear. That goes to my core of trusted advisor being honest and all that. Number one. And number two, you also put other people's reputation and business at risk. But if someone did something wrong, 
and now the world would say, oh, something's wrong in this firm, an honesty and moral compass or anything wrong like that banking, I run into a problem where other people's jobs are in jeopardy overnight. That was my biggest fear. So I was very sensitive to that point because it hit every single hop on. So I, I, I'm the only brokerage firm that has a credit department in-house. So a broker doesn't just bring in a deal, send it to a bank. There's a credit department underwriter and they don't get commission. Their job is to sense if something's wrong, if something's wrong, nip it in the bud and flag it. So if something is wrong, we catch it early on and we don't have a problem down the line. Because to me, that's the seven-figure expense that's put into the office for one purpose, to protect the reputation of the whole entire firm for that reason. And no other broker shop has that. Wow. So how'd you get through that, right? Because, I mean, you're, you're at risk. How, how'd you get through the fear? I try to vet people based on honesty first. I focus more on the moral compass. I focus on the moral compass first, then I focus on how good it'll be in sales. And the minute I send something off, I end it. Everyone has a biggest fear. They, have, they hedge their fear. So do the same thing, and I hedge my fear. Also, because of the way we do business, and we're always honest, transparent, and straightforward, the lenders also know that if something happened, it wasn't, like what's going on right now in, in, in every time is, is, is something going on uh, on a company, there's an investigation. Is it a culture of that company? They know the culture of our company is honesty and straightforwardness. They can trust us. So with that, if something does happen, they know that's the starting point. And if, if there's ever an issue, like we had an issue at that one time, they knew it was clearly that person. It wasn't something that's part of the firm. So therefore, I hedge myself that it shouldn't come up. And if it does come up, it's distanced that it's not a company cover-up. There's never a cover-up. Everything is open. Everything is open. And so people ask me, I'll give my cell phone number out. This, I'm not hiding anything. Is what am I hiding? So like, you know, people, people say sometimes, if, you know, people say, if you heard that you're getting audited, I said, okay, what do I care? I'm not doing anything wrong. My accountant calls me up. He doesn't say, I don't ask him, okay, how much can I get away with? If that's what it is, you say a few ideas people brought up and I'm going to go with it. The worst thing is somebody made an honest mistake. Will never be a situation. You know, like my dad told me, I don't mind if you're in the press, you know, LinkedIn, you know, just never be on the front page of the New York Post because that means you did something wrong. Wow. 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 Okay. So did you have a rock bottom? Like, was there a point where everything was on the line for you and you pushed through? Yeah. So everything was on the line when I, shortly after I opened, I opened up Eastern Union and I even gave an, on a, like an, on LinkedIn video, I posted this story where shortly after I opened, I didn't realize how strong the company I worked for was going to come after me to try to destroy me. So I was at rock, rock bottom. I sold my house and moved into my in-laws into the attic. I was moving to New Jersey. I want this. And while I, I moved out of New York, cheaper to live in, in, in New Jersey, cheaper cost of life. But in that interim, before I was moving and I was going to build a house and whatever, I moved into my in-laws attic. I was borrowing a lot of money to unsecure debt. I was borrowing, you know, trusting my reputation and believing that I'll make it, take it off. And that was it. That was the lowest point. My back was up against the wall. So not success wasn't an option. So whatever I could possibly do, I was going to kind of get done. So I lived through that. You know, many, you know, a great line that you know, I quote my dad many times is that people would tell my dad that, oh, he's so generous about himself. People come to me, are you generous? You help people? He said, no, it's just have a better memory. I remember those bad days. So I remember when you come to me for help, I know what you went through. I know what it's like to be the underdog and someone coming out to go out to destroy you just for the purpose of destroying you, for no other purpose. So I know that they have a purpose. They have a business. They don't want competition. But at the end of the day, I understand that. So when I meet people, people want that lucky break. They'll say, why are you willing to hire 500 colleagues? Why are you doing it for? I can make no money from it. It costs me money this summer. But if my mission is if I can give back 
to these 500 college kids. It's not about the, not the mortgage calls for me. I set up a curriculum which recorded and it's broadcasted for them. I'll have people answer questions on our Slack channels for them. Purely as a give back. Because of Corona, you didn't have any um, internships this summer. So I have 500 people worldwide. 29 different countries, some number like that they told me. People applied worldwide. So they're watching it on Zoom. They're getting videos of it afterwards, different time zones, everything's going on. And it's a full staff of my company at different times of the day are being available 24 hours to answer questions to them. That's the give back. If I could help people out, let me help them out to get that lucky break and then show them how they can build up their resume. So that's where I want to live my life, be able to give back to if, if I possibly can. Wow. So you've been working on this thing for 19 years. Um, what's been the reward for this arduous journey for you? So the biggest reward is probably trained and hired more people in the commercial real estate business than anybody. I'm willing to say that any commercial mortgage broker that came into this business, I would say in the Northeast for sure, in the last 20 years, I either trained directly or that person was trained by a person I trained. So when most people keep their secrets to themselves and don't want to give it out to help other people, I want to be in a situation where I could give back and train people. So when I look back and meet this guy making a million dollars a year or making a few hundred thousand, even not by me anymore, I could say, take pride in that I was able to help this guy get off his feet and become something. And I was able to help that way because my focus was on the person than on the money. Last year, I broke him in a lot more money than me. These things never bothered me. I make what I need to live. And why should I make extra money and do what with it? So I'm giving it to charity. Like I said, you never see a hearse with a U-Haul truck attached to it. You can't take any money with you, you know? So I look at that world and I say, is it? Like, give back. So I work hard to make the money. That's the reward. I actually think that the business reward is now going to come, the factory with this new pricing. I think we're going to go from, in my industry, to my knowledge, we're number two or number three in the number of transactions we work a year. The number one person doesn't even have a 5% market share in transactions. We're less than 1%. Uh, maybe we're just over 1% of the market share. And I think now, because of new pricing, I ask all bankers, why can't there be one firm that has a 50% market share? 40%, 30%. They say, I don't know, this should be, especially with technology could do it. I said, I can tell you what, ask me in two years from now, mark it down. We started this two months ago, ask me in two years, I'll either have done it or I can tell you why it's not possible. But I'm going to put it all out there to go make it happen. And uh, that's what we're trying for. Wow. So... As you've been going along this path, has anything tried to pull you back into the old way where, you know, you were working for somebody else or um, tried to buy your company? So it's not so much that it's not an old way of buying company. I'm doing the same exact business. And, you know, there's always that choice. People come up every once in a while. A data company says you have a lot of data. Let's buy your way out. A bank comes. I want to buy your way out. Another brokerage firm comes through. And I never really made that move yet because... I want to be able to keep that culture. Someone would come to me and say, okay, same type of monetary arrangements could exist and allow me to look. Which company could a guy walk into his boss and say, I think this summer we should give back and hire unlimited interns. Don't think I is crazy. I don't have to make those decisions anymore. I want to do these things. If someone had the same culture, but they were larger, they could, they could move things differently, of course I'll, I'll entertain it. Because then I could, instead of 500, it'd be 5,000. I have limitations. Yeah. I get to a place without limitations, I'd love to go do that. Right. So it really sounds like you have really stayed clear and true to the roots, but is there a big difference in the approach to life since you've learned all these lessons along the way? I try to do the same thing. Try to, you know, 
try to be married to the same one woman in this world, you know, have a family. I have three kids. One is married. I have a grandchild already. And I have uh, one foster son. So I have four kids. And I try to mix business and personal. I try to be the same on both ends of the spectrum. I get messed up when I'm in a business circle and then certain people change their, their way. Oh, this is how business works. So I have to deal with that part of it. But I, I get messed up from it. So I live with it. I do my thing and you know, I try to do good. And you know, every once in a while, you know, I get that deal, guys. And then all of a sudden someone calls us, you know something? I want to do business with you because I like the way your moral compass is. I don't believe I lost because of it now, you know? So it's like, and I train people in sales. I say, you know, in my business, if I'm making about 500 calls a week, and if you're successful, you're going to bring in three good deals that week. Three good opportunities. So that means 497 no's. Success is failure, right? You know, the foul sports, they say, how many times did Michael Jordan miss a free throw? You know? So you're going to be a failure. 497 no's. Some of the no's are going to be rude. Some are going to be nice. Some are going to blame on other reasons. I just need my three. I'm happy with three. And I move on. Next week, I'm going to get the four. And then move on from there. So I try to mix business and personal, mix family and business. I have no problem hiring family at all. Siblings, cousins, doesn't make a difference. And does it get awkward sometimes? Yes. But, you know, if I have the ability to, to give back and help, that's, the, that's what it's all about. I don't want to be on my deathbed and have regrets what I should have done in life. On your deathbed, you're not thinking about your money. Think about all those other things you could have done. And that's what I want to avoid. That's the number one thing I try to avoid. I say, if I died today, what regrets would I have? And I fix that. Wow. So what are you most grateful for? This opportunity. I'm grateful for that you apparently chose to call me to this podcast with you. So I was able to get to a point where you think that this story can inspire people. So that's what I'm most grateful for. So I got this far in life, so I'm grateful for it. So I said, that's the metric that I, that I do is what can I give back to people? When someone calls me, can you end a podcast? I want to understand why is the person doing the podcast? What is the audience for? And is there someone from that could benefit from it that, on that level? Yeah. Uh, the listeners are certainly going to benefit from this. I've been benefiting. <laughs> it's my expectation that they will too as well. So you've went to this quarter point pricing. It looks like you're going to try to do a big market share grab or you're going to do a big market share grab. Is that the dream you're most focused on catching next or is there something? Is else? No, no, no. By the way, for 19 years, I tell people, I didn't wake up in the middle of COVID and change my pricing. For 19 years, I knew since I worked in the business 23 years, since I opened up Eastern, I knew that something was wrong in how the pricing was paid to a broker. What exactly does a broker do? Does an underwriter do? Where's the balance? How much does the client understand the reasons why you really need a broker and when you don't need a broker? What you could get on your own, what you could buy, get from LinkedIn posting, what you could get from different online platforms or data platforms. I knew something was off. What and the pricing of it, I couldn't tell the answer. About four years ago, I had a clear understanding where pricing is going to go. And for the last four years, I've been working on positioning the Eastern brand, position for this. I would have thought I would have done it in two to three years from now. COVID just sped up that process. So something that would have happened in two, three years happened now because of everything working around us with this. So my same singular focus has been for the last 19 years. Hire people, train them, bring in business, and grow. I couldn't hire too many new people of late because it's very tough to break into the business. A quarter point, 30, 45 days. June 1st, now to June 1st, we're up 75 new brokers, plus the college interns. I couldn't hire at that level that fast, so many brokers at a clip. I go 200, excuse me, nationwide. The plan after this from now is to ramp up to 200 brokers. So to me, this is my single focus, but it checks all the boxes. There's a money 
on the business side of it. I can keep reinvesting back in. And on the personal side, every person that tries to come on board, even if it doesn't work for them, the experience they get in those few months, I meet people, this is the gratifying part, they say, Ira, I worked for you for two months when I started out, first job in real estate, and is a big lawyer in New York. His summer, his first summer, we had a summer program, a calling that we opened the Eastern, he managed it. His first job was this. And people came to America the first time in America, this was their job. They tried it for a few months. That experience they say they got from this experience, that's the gratifying. With my single focus, I could hire thousands of people potentially. I could open up offices throughout the country. I could help people build their own lifestyle, their own whatever amount of money they want to earn in real estate, get into real estate. I don't charge them any money to come in. See, if either there's nothing anyone pays or I start advancing them against commissions or for commissions. At the same time, if you're a business boy. So it checks every box in my life. Why shouldn't I? Uh, so to me, this is my only focus. All day and I'm pumped like anything. I'm like, it used to be, I used to meet people, the bigger they were, why do you use a broker? It didn't make sense to me for their reason, it didn't make sense. Now I look at anyone who doesn't use a broker at a quarter point as an idiot. I look like, how do you not? There's 60% go direct. I know why they went direct till now, because if the choice is direct or a point to a broker, I agree. But at a quarter of a point, I can provide that quarter point value any day of the week. And if you do use a broker and pay more than a quarter point for an agency refi, I just don't understand it. So now I believe in the product at that level. Can you imagine I'm thinking of what I could build? When I, I used to hire people, I said, here's a story. Logically, we shouldn't exist. I should go direct. Right? You said yourself, you do your deals direct with banks. Logically, we shouldn't exist. And it's not like you said, that you, that you, your first deal you want with the bank. Logically, should have been the opposite. Your first deal you want with the broker. Now your experience go with the bank. It's the opposite. You went into a bank on your first deal. That's what came through for you. Logically, it doesn't make sense. But it's a numbers game. Make enough phone calls, enough people need it, explain the reason, and go. Now, I believe every single person should use it. It's the opposite. I might not want to take on certain assignments, but everyone should want to try it. I'm not charging them up front. That's the difference. So when I have that confidence, and like I posted on LinkedIn yesterday, where someone was hired 40 days ago. He just graduated from college. I think he's in still middle college. He said, it's a real estate experience, it's 40 days. He not only did bring in six deals already to work on, one deal went under application, 39 days from starting. This is unheard of, these numbers. Like anything, I'm ready to like, you know, you know, dominate this market space. And I don't understand why I came to 80% of the market. The answer is because now there's gonna be competition coming. Now that's not gonna be successful, someone else will lower the price, a tech company will do it. Of competition. Okay, but the top two, three should dominate the market. I want to be one of those three. I said a line to people that when I opened up, when Uber came out and Netflix, my dad used to explain to me how businesses changed, right? When you were growing up, it was a Palm Pilot. Then you went to the Blackberry. And then after the Blackberry, iPhone took over. Why did each let the other person come in? Is there going to be an iPhone killer? I don't know. Maybe they will. I have no idea. Well, iPhone Android doesn't mean that concept. And I said to myself, I'll never be Netflix out of my own business. I'll never be Uberized out of my business. I will be the Uber. So, you know, when I made this decision, eight brokers left my firm. When I said I'm going quarter point, I offered them to stay, offered them partnership. They said, no, we don't want to be associated. We want to keep charging the, the regular fees they were, they were getting before. That's about a third of my business left. So guess what risk I took? I took a risk that I believe in this. I let a third walk out the door. And at the end of the day, you know, the, the, I look at them and say, listen, I don't know what you're thinking. Markets and change the pricing. Wherever you go, you're going to have to match this pricing. So you might as well stay here, build an origination machine to bring you more deals. And they look at it and say, no, I think you're making a mistake. And even if not, they'll rather charge for the next year or two and deal with it while the market changes. So it's a risk I took with this. I believe in this. I can own the business. And I can help train people, hire people, give people education, and take them to the next level. So um, this is it. Singular focus.
Last two questions, Ira. The first one, what gift are you giving the world? I wish I was able to give the world a gift. I don't know. I try as much as possible to you know, be able to show that you could reach levels of success that and still be able to maintain that moral compass that they're supposed to have and hopefully inspire people that when they go into that business and they think they have to settle and give up on some, certain morals they have to give on, you don't have to give up on some of those morals. When I hire people, my line to them is religion is a private matter. I'm going to respect your religion and your belief. So from your belief, you do things a certain way, we'll go to a meeting and you'll never have to sacrifice any of your morals. So if you have any issue, we'll, we'll accommodate those, those issues. Like I look at the world as setting things up that how they have to set things up to accepting of everybody. For me, that became natural. That's what my mom brought me up, my dad brought us up. This is how you do. You treat people as humans and you know, try, to, try to live the best example you can. So I don't know if that's a gift to the world, you know, but uh, I'm sure if you call my mother, she'll tell you what, uh, you know, she'll be happy, you know. And the final question is, what one thing do you want people to take away from our conversation? You got to believe in yourself. I, I tell people that, you know, obviously the same thing about keeping the, you know, the good and, you know, keeping everything together and believing in God and all that and, that, and taking him as a partner. But I can just tell you that take an attitude of like an spite of attitude and set a goal. You could reach the goal, put your effort in as if you're like advising to your twin brother. But I think you should go and focus, follow your dream and don't let the naysayers in the middle. If the numbers don't work, the math doesn't work, okay, fine, you have no choice. But just because someone says you can't do it, I'll end with this thing that I tell people if, if you're talking, you're asking people that are starting on their career. Everybody has strength and weaknesses. The mistake you're made in life is people tell you, oh, that weakness, you can't go far with it. And you spend your whole life trying to cover or fix your weaknesses. I say don't do that. Polish your strengths, neutralize your weaknesses. Which basically tells a person is that I have weaknesses. You're perfect, but I have weaknesses. And there's no weakness I have I don't know about. I focus to learn the weakness. And then I partner up with people. Their strength is my weakness. So in a numeric thing, if those that are good with numbers, is how I explain it. Nobody's perfect. Perfect is 10. Scale of 1 to 10, you have 10. No one's a 10. A great person is an 8 out of 10. What's an 8? And every character trait they have, maybe between a 6 and a 10, averages an 8. What makes someone a superstar? One of those character traits are 12. So you throw a 12 in there without sacrifice, it goes up to a nine. No one's perfect. You know how you can become perfect? You become perfect by finding someone that their six is your 12 and your six is their 12. So now you can average to 10 and then respect what they do. I spend most of my day in my office balancing and teaching egos how to work with each other. Because here's the issue. You have two lawyers. One lawyer brings in all the business and one lawyer works his tail off. Together, the clients love them. The whining and dining guy lives in whining and dining, going to sporting events and dinners and who knows what. The other guy sits in the office till 2 o'clock and I work. Could you imagine when it comes to payday? And they each get a million bucks. And one of them says, I did all the work. You're out partying. I should get more than a million bucks. Or the other way around. I went out partying. I brought in the business. Why the hell am I giving it to you? I could have gotten any attorney to do the work for me. That's the beginning of the end. Until then, why did it work? Because they were perfect him. The client got the best networker on the planet. And the network had never had to be busy with anything else because they had a partner who was working just as hard in the trenches. So when they respect each other and they want to say, you know something, I couldn't be as good as I am without you. That's the dominating point. So you take your strength and weaknesses and partner up to go get to work. And most people make a mistake and they hire people similar to themselves. No one in my office is exactly me. Everybody in my office 
has one met benefit and one thing they bring to the table that I have as a weakness. So therefore, at least together, I'm a little bit better than I was before that, that person joined me. And I built a whole firm like that to hopefully as we look to keep growing this way, that's to grow. So ever believe in yourself. I mean, everyone that came to me started with nothing. You know, you, you know we were talking in the pre-interview. You asked me about how to train people. And obviously, politically, I don't know how you get away with it, but in, in Bear Stearns, he writes a book, Chairman for the Chairman. He goes, what type of people did you hire? He said, I hired PSM, poor, smart, and married. Poor, they're motivated. Smart, they get it done. Married, they're grounded, and they're not going anywhere. That's the type of people they hired at best. Believe in yourself. You want to make your career? Let the career start from you. In spite of everything, have a drive and become number one, being the best that you can be. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I, I'm so grateful that you chose to spend this time with me today. I think this is going to be a tremendous impact to our listeners. It had a great impact on me. I learned a lot. And I look forward to spending more time with you and deepening our relationship. Thank you very much. Looking forward. I hope this is beneficial to all of you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.